0: Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show Marcus Nichols, who's giving us a recount from a real world perspective about the mistakes not to make when selling your business. And Marcus's recount comes from his own experience in selling his business, not once, but twice. Well, let's call it one and a half times, perhaps perhaps, given the first attempt didn't go so well. So if you're gearing up for an exit of your business now or into the near future, you might find that this episode contains a lot of lessons that might be really useful for you to understand as you're gearing up for exit. Well, that's it. Here we go with our discussion with Marcus. Marcus, I just want to say a massive thank you for joining us on the Deal Room podcast today.
1: Fabulous, thanks, Joe. It's really, I really appreciate being being invited, and hope <laughs> we can distill some wonderful content for your fabulous guests.
0: I tell you what, this will be really. This is really good content um, in terms of a store. I just love the stories. I love the stories working through um, how people have felt in that period of selling and then on reflecting where they see, um, you know, where some things, you know, pop out that they think that they could um, use to, I, I guess, provide insight for people who haven't gone through the process before. And that's where stories are just so helpful because it doesn't really matter how many times I talk about things from a legal perspective, the best way of people understanding what it feels like to sell a business is by hearing from someone who sold their business. So I just want to say a massive thank you, Marcus, for coming on board and talking about your experience.
1: Yep. No, abs- absolutely. More more than happy to share because uh, there's been a few trials and tribulations <laughs> in the process. So it'll be a bit of fun.
0: yes all right so now you are part of an unusual um crew i guess of people that have sold your business not once but twice is this correct am i telling the truth
1: you are telling the truth and yeah there's certainly not many people that have successfully sold their business twice uh yeah well i wouldn't say successfully (laughs) If we sold it twice successfully, we wouldn't have happened the first you time. Have sold
0: it only once. Yes, yes. The second time was so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So maybe you just give us a bit of a rundown. Um, uh, why? How is it that you came to sell your business twice? Or well, maybe we'll call it one and a half times. I guess. Perhaps. <laughs>
1: So we uh, obviously did made the decision to to sell the business, um, put it on the market.
0: And sorry, before we do that, I just want to lay the groundwork a little bit here. So, um, the business that we're talking about here is a pet resort business. Is that That, right?
1: That that is correct. Uh, We had run it at this point for eighteen years.
0: Eighteen years, yeah.
1: Uh, built it from a very small country kennel, you would sort of say, um, up into a sort of a multi million dollar uh, pet resort that, um, and built a new complex and all, all sorts of other things. And really, really took it to another level. So mm. we had sort of, you know, a, a play park, uh, uh, like a swimming pool and water fun park for dogs. And we had, you know, all the TVs and roast chicken dinners and, you know, you name it, it was a bubble. Chicken mm. ice cream.
0: Chicken ice cream. Cream. <laughs> ice cream, and
1: beef ice cream, you know. So all the bits and pieces that people are really after nowadays, you know, because people really treat their animals at a whole other level than they used to, you know, 30 years ago and are really wanting the things that they have at home to be the same when they actually put them into a, into a pet resort. So and that's what we focused on. So, so get, this had
0: been 18 years in the making. Um, it had been years your business yep. baby, I, I yep. get. It okay. was,
1: it was, it took a, a, a lot of love, you know, and a lot of, yeah. lot of learning, you know.
0: Yeah, so, um, I do understand, I do yeah. understand and it, you know, it's it's a long journey, 18 years is a long journey in business, you know, yeah. a lot of highs, a lot of lows.
1: Yep, we we actually opened our new facility on the week that Lehman's fell over.
0: Oh wow.
1: For everyone that knows the GFC. Yeah. Uh, so the week Lehman's fell over, we opened our new pet resort that had just spent a few million dollars building it mm. and opened our doors and it was like, well, that's a good
0: start. <laughs> and, but obviously, you know, and and presumably that that was a hard time for a while, but obviously it bounced back um, then yeah. over time. Yeah,
1: and certainly. It allowed you to really refocus and and just go, okay, well, what, where is our market? What are we doing? How are we going about it? And let's rebuild um, because it was an instant sort of, 20%, 20 to 25% drop overnight in clientele.
0: Well, uh, actually, you know, and I guess as an aside, and this was not the point of what we are discussing today, but um, gosh, you just never know what comes out when you start talking, right? As an aside, this is perhaps a really interesting sort of thought point for people who are sitting, um, who have businesses that have been Fundamentally stressed by um, this, you, you know, the, these really challenging times that we're in, right in the middle of COVID. Yeah. Um, and you, you said something right then that I, I just thought was really interesting. You said we really had to take a look at our model um, and re re look at how that model works. So I thought that's really interesting. So you, you realised you needed to make changes to make it um, successfully through. Was that what happened? Yeah,
1: yeah. Basically, basically, just sort of pull the business apart and put it back together in a way that we knew would help to regrow it and to make it better moving forward, to so just relying on what we had done up to that point.
0: And when you did that, were you thinking of exit at that point as well? Were you thinking of building something that was more solid to exit?
1: We'd always planned to exit. We weren't too sure when we would do that, uh, but it was always on our agenda that we were building a business to get to the point where we could effectively run it under management or we could exit it. Um, successfully through a sale versus it being reliant wholly and solely on us as the individual people at the, at the core face of it.
0: Yeah, uh, that's great because many business owners, you know, perhaps don't build a business with the idea of exit in mind. But but I guess it is one of the... Um, Opportunities, if you want to put on an optimistic hat of the times that we're in at the moment, it's giving everyone the opportunity to rethink about their business model, what it looks like for the future and perhaps now to build in a business that's stronger for, um, for, for an exit um, than yes. perhaps it was pre-COVID.
1: Yep, absolutely. You know, and certainly making people, yeah, it really does make people re, really focus on those sort of things. And what's important, looking at their revenue streams, you know, what's what's bring like the, the scenario of, you know, 80% of my revenue comes from 20% of my mm. business, you know, or 20% of my customers. So it's like, okay, well, do we shed these other sections or not? Or, you know, what what things do we actually sort of change that? And, and what lifestyle do we really want moving forward?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so you went through these highs um, and lows and then highs again. And then after 18 years, you came to the point of sale. How, how long did you think about sale before you actually put it on the market?
1: Uh, we decided we'd been umming and ahhing a little bit, but I was over in Mexico getting some treatment and... Uh, I through that process, I made the decision that, uh, well, when I say I made the decision, I, we are a couple, so my partner was fundamentally involved in it. But I, at that point, I said to her, "I really think we should look at putting it on the market mm. uh, when I get back." And so that was the consideration of the first stage of looking at that. And that was that was back in 2015, mm. and then it took us probably a year and a half before we actually then finally got it to to market so
0: yeah. yeah, and isn't isn't that interesting? I mean, it's interesting that it took one and a half years to get to market. I think many business owners just don't understand how long the process is between having the idea that you want to exit and then actually getting to the point of exit, and sometimes far longer yeah. <laughs> than that. As we'll come back to in a moment, but um, but we're we're talking just about the first um, sale in inverted commerce, uh, yeah. one and a half years. And did you had you expected that it would be that long? Was that something? Um, that you know was a surprise
1: yes and no we we weren't in a hurry if that makes sense we weren't going right yep we you know i'm back we we're going to put this on the market asap we were going okay this is where we want to be we want to exit and we want to exit sooner than not sooner than later per se but let's start doing the groundwork of you know, considering looking for a business broker or considering getting our, but all the financials of the business looking more appropriate to sale. Um, Often when you run your own business, uh, they don't necessarily look appropriate for a sale because (laughs) of the way we all like to run our business. So there had to be some time spent on that, going through that process and just cleaning those sort of bits and pieces up and, and considering those sort of options. So I always knew that was going to be at least a year to probably two years and then it was probably going to take a year to two years to sell.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So let's talk about this experience then the first time around. So so um, how long was it on the market for and, and, and how did that all work?
1: So we ended up engaging a broker who approached it in a different way um, from the sale point of view and we got massive interest in it. Um, like substantial interest in it and had multiple people wanting to buy it, which opened us up to getting a real premium on potentially what the business was worth at that, right at that point of time. And some people put an offer in that we accepted and went through the process. They signed all the paperwork, did all the bits and pieces that were needed. And the, we got to the point of them actually taking over (laughs) The day before settlement, they booked a meeting with our broker and said, we don't have the money to settle. Um, Our finances have been held up, but can we come in and operate the business under licence?
0: Wow. Wow. And so how did you feel at that moment when, when you found out um, about that? I, I mean, I guess you had made plans for, the, for that completion date. Is that right? And because I, I think it's also important to explain, you know, having a business for 18 years and this then exiting is a massive thing in itself, but this was also where you lived as well, yes. wasn't it? So I think that's important to understand as well. I mean, moving trucks were probably ready to lined up to come in the following days. That is, is that what it was meant? Well, to be? It, it was
1: actually more than that. We'd already we'd already emptied everything. So our plan at that point of time was, being that we'd been in one location for so long and hadn't really had the opportunity to travel, uh, my partner and I had effectively just got rid of everything. So we emptied the house. We had a tiny storage bay that had our artwork and business files in it. Wow! And that was it. Everything else we owned fitted in the back of the car, and we were hitting the road and having fun.
0: Wow! And so that's it. You're sitting there. Um, well, all you had left is your stool and your campfire, saying, "Well, this is it. Our last night. Let's let's yep. say goodbye." And then you get the call.
1: Yeah. So we, um, denard we ummed about whether letting them in under license but there was two factors that came into play one was that they said it would be two to three weeks Mm. was one of the factors uh the second factor was that we had empty everything so we didn't have cutlery we didn't have glasses we didn't have
0: wow
1: furniture you know um so if we chose to stay, we were staying in an empty house with nothing.
0: Mm.
1: We'd also, obviously, the buyer had chosen to put off, um, to chosen, to, had chosen to take all the staff on under new contracts. So we actually had to, to um, mm. notify all the staff a couple of weeks earlier that, that, that they wouldn't have a job in two weeks, basically. Went through all that process. So we didn't actually officially have any staff.
0: Oh my goodness! And so uh, your terminations of the staff weren't yep. contingent on the um, on completion. It yep. was um, oh my like goodness, everything
1: like you, you, you. you know, I mean, it was effectively the day before settlement. So everything had been done that needed to be done for the settlement to go through, uh, and then to get that news. Uh, wow! So we, we Amdenard And we decided to let them in under licence. Right.
0: And so what did that look like at the time? What was the intention? What did you think was going to happen at that point?
1: Well, what we thought was going to happen was that it would be for two to three weeks and then we would settle. And we would then continue on with our new life. Mm. And that's not what happened. <laughs> and that's not what happened. So you know, um, like our actual contract of sale did have some things in it place in relation to um, not necessary, well in relation to interest and completions and things like that, mm. uh, which went for the first sort of three weeks, and then they came back to us. And- And sort of said, no, it's been held up, it's going to take a bit longer. So we had to do a new licensing agreement at that point, of which we then needed to make sure we were getting enough money from the licensing agreement to be able to live
0: Mm.
1: because we didn't have, we didn't own another house. We were going to, we were just going to be free and easy. And but we still had a mortgage. Mm. We still had a mortgage on the property that we had to meet. So, Mm -hmm. and we still had effectively all the assets we still owned in the business. Mm -hmm. So there was all that componentry as well. So it meant that the licensing agreement needed to be big enough to be able to cover all of those components.
0: Right. Wow.
1: Which it was agreed to. And on we went. For another month.
0: And then what happened?
1: And then we signed another licensing agreement.
0: Oh, my goodness. Holy dooly. And so at this time, were there, you know, were there securities, were there personal guarantees? There had
1: been personal guarantees right from the word dot before we actually did the um, sale anyway. They had signed personal guarantees. So all that was already in place as part of the sale process. But it's, yeah, it was it was one of those sort of situations that you just didn't think was just going to go on. And we, we let it go on, you know, because that was part of the issue too, because at the end of the day, we didn't want to go back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We had had emotionally made the decision to move on and we had moved on. It was a really hard thing to consider going back in when you had, when you'd moved on from that business and everything that, that, had yeah which was yeah. really hard and consequently we let it go on longer than we ever should have
0: and so and how long did it go on for I guess 13 the next months. question 13 months and and what happened in the end obviously letting cough up the cash
1: you no know, so end result was we had to terminate the licensing agreement terminate the sale contracts and go back in
0: and and so presumably you didn't just let it go with the purchases presumably you then had an action that you had to consider against the purchases what what happened there and and you probably can't talk much about it but you, you know was that something that went on for a while was that something that was expensive
1: yeah and we we did make the decision to to legally chase them for a failed sale uh And that process uh, has taken a number of years and a few hundred thousand dollars in legal fees.
0: Wow.
1: Um, So we're aiming that that outcome will be in our favour at some point in Mm. in the new future.
0: Mm, Wow okay all right so that's sale number one let's talk about sale number two and I'm hoping fingers crossed I do know the outcome but I'm hoping fingers crossed it's a more positive outcome so so I guess firstly you had to go back into the business and take the business owner over again is that right and how how was it when you went and took it over?
1: Um, Aness we had run a very systematized business which was part of the reason we could step away a little bit from it from every component of what we did and how we did it because we were very focused on on offering the the highest quality of care we could at a consistent level so everything we did was very systematized everyone knew what they were doing and we walked back into a business that was a mess
0: yeah
1: and that didn't include obviously all the damage and other bits and pieces that had gone on in the time we weren't there. So, yeah.
0: And how, you know, that must have been a huge energetic effort to try, you know, like the energy in building a business once um, is, is massive. But when you're, when you feel like you should be out of it, I can only but imagine um, how difficult it must be to get in there and build up the energy to do it all again. How did you do that?
1: Uh, uh, lots of tears. Lots of bottles of champagne. <laughs> we have we have a policy in our house. We drink champagne on good days, and we drink champagne on bad days.
0: Oh right, yeah. I was going. To, I was going to say because quite often, of course, champagne is thought of as the celebration. But I, I imagine there was a period of time where there wasn't a lot of celebrating. No,
1: no. So there was lots of bottles of champagne for bad right. days, and there was yeah. a lot of bad days. But what what it really taught us was that it helped that we knew the systems, we knew how to run the business well and we just had to go back to it. We just Mm -hmm. had to really implement all of that. And it was a real lesson for us in one, in realising that emotionally we could go back in. So Mm -hmm. opposed to thinking, no, I can't, it's going to destroy me or, you know, all those sort of emotional things we have. We actually got to the point of going, well, you know, we actually learnt that we could. Yeah, you know, we mm. could rise to it. We could go back in, but the other thing it taught us too was was the idea that have how hard it is for business owners to set up their businesses to run in a systematized way. Although we knew what we were doing, it still took us four months to five months to get that business functioning systematized again, just Mm. in the way we used to do, Mm. which was phenomenal, really. And we knew it all. So there were some real lessons through the process. And as I said, lots of tears. But, you know, it was, we just had to. There was no, you know, you had to get up every day and you had to go and do what you needed to do. You couldn't, you couldn't not. And if you didn't, you were then going to destroy everything that you had done for the last 18 years. You were just going to let it all go. And it was worth too much of a to, too yeah. much to us personally to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Not from a monetary point of view, just simply emotionally.
0: Yeah. And so then once you went back in, took it over again, how long did it take you before you could get it back on the market and get it sold again?
1: Well, we'd done that classic thing of, uh, well, not classic, but I knew that you know, it took three to four months of just legal stuff to yeah. have to go through to to end all contracts and things like that. You just, you know, you've got to send this legal letter off and then you wait for 28 days and then you send the next legal
0: yeah.
1: letter off and all the rest of it. And then outside of that, uh, we knew that because the way the financial years had fallen from the date we'd sold the business, we knew that we didn't have any financial figures and we'd spent close on 100000 on fixing stuff or a bit over 100000 know, fixing stuff when we went back in. So we destroyed effectively three years of financial figures. Wow. So we knew that basically it was going to be, we would have been back a year and a half before we were at a point of having correct financial figures moving forward for someone to really look at. Mm. So we were thinking it was a four-year process, four to five-year process Wow! put the business back on the market.
0: Wow. And is that how it eventuated? Eventuated? It's not how it
1: eventuated. What happened was was we decided the website that had been created for the sale of the business the first time, we put that back up there, but we did no marketing or advertising of it. We just simply put the the website up and thought, well, if someone is looking, who knows? And in the space of about six months after we had gone back in, um, we had a couple of Interested parties come looking. Wow. Now, I think to some degree, uh, one of those parties was simply looking for a, a cheap buy, yeah. a distressed seller. The other party was genuinely looking, uh, but at the end of the day, the the finances didn't stack up, and the business was no longer as as running as well as it was. Um, mm. And we knew that we wouldn 't get the premium we got first time around uh, but we, you know we we negotiated through, and the end result was is we ended up selling the second time to actually two people we really like, so we're really happy with with the people we sold to. We lost about a million dollars in the in the sale price wow, uh, second time round, so it was um, yeah it hurt financially mm. there 's no question about that, but it also then allowed us to move on you know yeah. and we knew it's like sort of opportunities lost if you stay somewhere for too long you miss future opportunities because you've just simply have been fixated on trying to hang on to something that you you had already made the emotional decision to move on from and still wanted to have moved on
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, well, look, it's great that in the end you were able to sell it successfully um, and and not be bound to it, I guess, for that four to five years that you're concerned it might take. So then reflecting back on your experiences, what do you feel are the main lessons and pointers that you'd like to give to our listeners who are you know probably many of them right in the throes of getting ready to exit their business what's what's the sort of things that you wish someone had have uh, <laughs> had have said in a podcast to you before you started down that track uh,
1: it's you know like all these things it's always you're a- Advisors around you will sort of say it's your decision, but sometimes you just have to hold with what you, you believe is right for you. Mm. But there is a few things that I definitely would never, ever do again. One would be I would make sure the deposit that someone has paid up front uh, is correct, at least 10% of the business sale price.
0: And so it sounds like it wasn't in, in your it, case. It what, wasn't
1: in our case. And if it hadn't been, they never would have went through in the first place.
0: Right. Oh, right. So you mean they just didn't have the, the financial capacity. They didn't um, have that
1: much cash to, sitting there. Right. As
0: is the deposit. So, I mean, it's a good point, isn't it, that a deposit acts as a as a filter for someone who is geared up enough to be able to complete. When I say geared, I mean um, prepared um, yeah. financially for being able to properly complete. Um, and I think you make a really good point. A failure to be able to meet that. Should set off red flags that you know should be investigated in mm. terms of questioning the ability of a um, purchaser to complete if they're not able to provide the full full deposit. So that's a really good point. And w- did you have any reservations at the time when you were thinking about um, you, you know changing the deposit approach?
1: I I, I did, um, but we were I guess sort of you just get into the focus on this sort of sale and thinking it was okay. You know, it wasn't, you know, I was aware it should be higher, but I wasn't thinking it was it was, you know extremely bad, I guess you would sort of say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Yeah. But I had no
0: idea of what it could have created as the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh
1: so that's certainly the first thing. The second would be never ever ever, ever leave your business.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, before you get paid. (laughs) Before you get paid. Before the cash (laughs) is
1: in the bank, do not walk out that door. Do not do a licensing agreement. Do not do any of that. Although, you know, you might argue licensing agreements work well for some people, on a whole, um, you just, yeah, it's one of those sort of situations that someone can destroy your business very quickly once they get in there, mm. um, if you and particularly if you still own it, obviously, um, which was the case with us, so mm. I would never ever let anyone under any circumstances. I, I would ever do that again.
0: And you know, it's it's interesting that we're talking about this because um, you, you you know having a component of the purchase price deferred or contingent on. Um, on uh, performance of the business into the future is uh, quite a usual um, occurrence Mm. and, and, you know, it's a way of overlaying, I guess, something that can happen more regularly um, uh, across your instance, which is much rarer that someone just completely fails to complete. But it's interesting, isn't it, because it does highlight the issues when you're looking at anything that's a deferred payment in any way um having to really think through seriously the potential risk that it the deferred payments won't be made and so really getting clear on how it is that you'll you'll ensure that those payments are made or retain enough control in the business that you can preserve the value in it if they aren't paid so um
1: absolutely yeah because and it does happen as you're saying it happens a lot with a lot of businesses the deferred payment component based on on its performance over the next couple of years or whatever it may actually be Mm. Uh, and it's a real problem if you're not the boots on the ground person effectively running that business in the way that you know how to run it there's no guarantees that the people that you've handed it off to are going to do it in the same light that you are Mm. So you you really do run the risk of losing those components. So making sure that you have enough fail-safes in there that it's not your fault, mm. you know, in any shape or form. You know, I mean, you might wonder what would happen if you were selling a business during just before COVID-19 and had a deferred payment. Mm. Could that destroy your deferred payment?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. and that's right out of your
1: control, you know. Yeah. So it's all these little things that need to be considered and thought about in in that scenario. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fabulous. And then, you, you know, what what else were, were the learnings? Were Were there other ones sitting in there? There
1: are the two massive ones, which I should have should have done and and should have done more of is is actually really done the investigations into the buyers to. Make sure that they were financially able to do the sale in the first place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because
1: there is a lot more you can do in that space that we didn't do
0: yeah it's interesting, I guess, because one of the reasons that you ended up with such um you, you know such a great price the first time round was because you had a lot of uh, competitive tension it sounds like so mm-hmm. lots of potential buys, but partly that was because it was an unusual marketing strategy that was used to hit people who may not have. Otherwise, been thinking about buying a business, but I guess the flip side of that is then you need to add to that really strong filters to ensure that the um that the net that you're casting in isn't full of people who therefore don't have the capability to buy a business because they haven't gone through enough of the process themselves before the idea has hit them <laughs> to, uh, to to buy a business. So you yeah. you know yeah.
1: absolutely, you know, and the the other component of that is the pet industry is a love industry. So mm. there's a lot of people who are like in all the years that we ran the pet resort you know, I would say a huge amount of our customers uh, and suppliers and other bits and pieces would say to us, oh, I really want, this is all I really want to do is what you do. You know, I'd love to own something like this. But there's the the desire of I would love to own and the actual realisation of the, in today's light, the multi-millions of dollars that you actually need to do it. Mm. Um, it's no longer this sort of, I oh, yes, I could do that for, you know, it's not like a service-based business that you can start cheaply, you know. Mm-hmm. You've got to buy the property. You've got to build the infrastructure. Um, mm-hmm. You've got to have all that. And it's, it's yeah, it's a different style of business that requires you to move past just the love component of it. Um, and, and that's that's all whenever you sell a love industry business. You're always going to have those people, you know, and that's where you have to really do the the, the diligence to make sure that the people who are genuine um, are actually uh, are actually correct. You know, I mean, even yeah. in our, I mean, uh, on that story, in our first, uh, we had an open day where we had, um, our, I think about 40, 40 different people come through looking at the business um, in relation to buying it. And there was one of those people that uh, halfway through he said, Can I have a meeting with you and the broker? And because I want to know what I need to do to take this off the market. Mm. Wow. And we sat down with him, and I got a gut feeling instantly that he didn't have the cash. Right. I knew it straight away, but we had to go through the process.
0: Yeah. So yeah. We didn't
1: take it off the market, he had to produce. Enough stuff for us to want to take it off the market, but we knew he couldn't. Yeah, you know, we just knew he couldn't. Couldn't have it. But that's the thing of the love industry, you know. And yeah. you, you sell a business, you're always going to get those people, unfortunately. So, yeah.
0: And so, what did you do differently the second time round? Obviously, um, obviously, moving into the sale process, you're very scared, very heightened. Um, uh, I, I guess. Um, understanding that things can go wrong what is it that you did that second time around to feel confident that the buyer had the capacity to complete
1: um so second time around obviously we got the right deposit
0: (laughs) right okay yeah first tick they can come up with a deposit okay right yeah i like it yeah good good. uh
1: we didn't move out of the business (laughs) right until day of settlement
0: clever Uh, and
1: we also did a little bit of um, looking into the buyers Um, these were actually a couple of young guys who had actually bought a number of other um, uh, pet resorts and um, boarding kennels uh, and we were their fifth acquisition
0: So they had a track record, they knew what they were doing and they knew how to run, they they clearly knew what the business involved and how to run it, yeah. Yeah. And look, that's really sensible, yeah. yeah.
1: And And the 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 things they were were asking for, like, you know, they wanted two two months' worth of training, Mm. Mm. which, you know, we agreed to um, uh, but had to be obviously um, paid. It Mm. wasn't part of the sale price. They had to pay us for that, for those two months um, because Mm. it happened after the sale was completed, Um, but uh, things like that. There was a whole lot of little things, like the actual, the initial sale we had offered up two weeks' worth of training Mm. and we didn't do any.
0: Wow. Wow. Goodness, and and the and the first buyers had no um, looking back on it. They, they'd had no experience, like the second set of buyers, in terms of running that type of business. Is that right? The, the first set of buyers, um, yep.
1: yeah, no, not. There was one. There was there was it was a group of three people, and one of them had experience, hmm. um, but she was sort of she was going to be running it, but not running it, right. You know, it was going to be sort of run because we had managers and, and the place pretty much ran itself. But at the end of the day, you don't leave a business to run itself. You always have to have an eye on it and you've always got to be, you know, not front and centre every day, but you have to be there, you know. Sure. Um, uh, particularly smaller businesses, when you get into the Corporate weld it's a whole other kettle of fish, obviously. But yes, yes, you
0: know, yes, yes. As, as a smaller
1: as a smaller business owner, the business is only run as well as they do when someone at the helm is controlling it, and running it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, look, um, I, I just want to say a massive thank you, um, Marcus. This has just been, you, you know, really illuminating. I think you've come up some, with some really good points as well for business owners who are looking to exit to um, think about in terms of their own risk protection. Um, I, I think this concept of um, vendor due diligence on a purchaser is such a, is such a great way of um, thinking a- about... Um, analysing um, some of these offers that come before you as well because it's very tempting to look um, at price above other things, right? Um, But the things that you're talking about here, you know, at the end of the day... Make so much more of a difference than just price on its own, don't they? Well, as Mm -hmm. you can certainly attest to (laughs) after years and hundreds and thousands in uh, legal food, yeah, Yeah. and the pain of having to go back in, which um, you know, just um, you you know, uh, hats off to you. I, I think going having the energy to go back in. Is um, must have been one of the hardest things, but good on you! You did it, and you, and you've got a you know a happy ending to the story. Yes,
1: thank you. Thank and where
0: you. are yes. you now? Tell us, tell us about what you did after you finally sold it, and and where it brought you to now.
1: So, my partner and I, Ariel, uh, because of our years within business and all our trials and tribulations, being a couple, uh, we. Have decided that we want to help other couples in business, and so a consequence is starting a, uh, a, a a coaching program, an online course, and a membership sort of um, membership community. Really, it's it's really based around a community of business couples to help each other um, become more sort of wealth, wealthy, health, healthy, and happy within running their business.
0: Oh, lovely. I love it. And and
1: their lives. So that's our focus and that's what we're putting everything into at this point of time.
0: Oh, brilliant and and i know that you're um in the middle of creating a bit of a survey um for uh your for for the business audience in relation to confirming what it is that um they need assistance in is is that right is that the point of the survey tell me a little bit about yeah. The survey.
1: yeah absolutely yeah the survey that we're, we're sending out to sort of accountants and um business uh, business owners that we know that are couples in business and then just out to the community generally trying to push it out there is really just getting that feedback on what you as a business couple what you really struggle with what components of your business you struggle with and then what um components of your relationship you struggle with you know mm. do you do you do bed talk um or not and things like that not not quite to that degree but it's it, but it is in relation to you know as a, as a couple in business when you when you work side by side you know, five or seven days a week and then you go home, you know, how much do you leave at the door and how much do you bring into your house?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so maybe tell us um, w- what we'll do In is in the show notes, we'll make sure we link through um, to you and the new business. That'd it just sounds fabulous. Um, and also to the survey, yeah. but um, may- maybe just tell us for people who are running along the beach at the moment or on their commute into work if they're allowed back into their works yet by the time this airs. <laughs> what's the uh what what's the website where do people find you if they want to find you marcus
1: okay so our business uh business website sorry is businesscouplesuccess.com
0: Brilliant. Absolutely love it. As I said, we'll put that in um, our show notes and on the website. Well, I just want to say an absolutely massive thank you for coming on to the show. It's been such an interesting episode. Um, I've loved speaking to you and I'm really grateful for you coming on to the Deal Room Podcast to share your story.
1: Lovely. Thank you, Joe. No, it's been an absolute wonder. And and hopefully we've shared some great content for people to think about when they are actually in that process of getting up to selling their business.
0: yeah. Yeah, 100% absolutely. You're a legend. Thank you very much. And wishing you massive luck with the new venture. It sounds absolutely fabulous.
1: Lovely. Thanks, Jo. appreciate
0: it. And that's it for our discussion with Marcus Nichols. Now of the business, Business Couples Success. So if you'd like to find more about how you can contact Marcus Nichols and Business Couples Success, then just head over to our website at www.thedealroompodcast.com, where you'll be able to link straight through to Marcus and his new business, The Business Couples Success. Or of course, just check out the show notes. to this episode on your favourite podcast player. On our website, you'll also find details of how to contact Marcus and also how to contact any of our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We've got a number of great services that help businesses prepare in advance and get transaction ready, but also to help guide them through the sale and acquisitions process once it's all on foot. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. So don't hesitate to book an appointment with our legal eagles if you'd like to find out how we might be able to assist. Well, that's it. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, I certainly really enjoy always talking to business owners and certainly I really enjoyed this discussion today with Marcus. And I think it contains a lot of really useful insights and perspectives from someone who who's been there and got the badge. So once again, thanks for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Have you heard of Aspect Legal's partner program? Our partner program is a free program that's open to brokers, corporate advisors, accountants and any other advisors to businesses who are dealing with organisations that are leading into a sale or acquisition of businesses or shares. As part of our partner program, we offer free access to our legal hotline, which is a support line to our specialist lawyers. We also provide a pre-free sale legal review to buyers and sellers, where we educate them about the process and timelines from a legal perspective. And the third element that forms part of this partner program is a match-up database that we run, where effectively we're able to connect up accountants or brokers or corporate advisors with businesses who are looking to either sell or acquire. So if you're a partner of ours, you go straight into that partner database and where we can see opportunities to provide matchups, then we introduce you. And the final element of our partner program is ongoing education in the form of seminars, webinars, and meetups. And that's something new that we're introducing into the partner program in early 2020. So if you're not a partner, then all you need to do to become a partner is just pop us an email at partners at aspectlegal.com. Dot au, and just simply say in your subject column, I want to become a partner. It's as easy as that to get immediate access to our free legal hotline and all of those other resources. We look forward to having you on board as a partner.
1: Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. That will conclude this evening's entertainment.